What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Today's episode is about finding your energy, discovering who you truly are, and how everyone's a jackass. Nina Cashman is our guest, and I am thrilled to share this conversation with you. Nina is a certified life coach, and she works for the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching as a lead facilitator. There, she helps others in securing their life coaching credentials. In this conversation, we realize how practical and inspiring Nina's story is. After 17 years in a career in corporate America as a marketing director, she realized that 75% of her time was controlled by someone else. After some introspection, she realized that this didn't align with her values, her goals, or how she saw her life unfolding. So, like so many of us would like to do, she quit to pursue her passion. If you find yourself looking to make a big career change, Nina's not only a role model, but a resource. Today, Nina specializes in career planning, career growth, leadership development, team building, and personal branding. In this conversation, we discuss how to connect with the truth of who you are, being able to start over, and how to cure fear through action. Take out a notebook and something to write with because there's a lot to learn as you enjoy this episode with Nina Cashman. Well, before we get into our conversation today, if you like what you're hearing and you haven't done so yet, please take a minute to leave us a review and a positive rating. It's the most effective way that you can help us get our message out there and reach more awesome people like you. Nina, welcome to Right Place Right Now. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Travis and Brandon. I've missed so, you guys. <laughs> I know. So excited. So for people listening, we met Nina. She was actually the IPEC. Are you the facilitator? What's your role with IPEC? The official title is, is I'm one of the lead trainers. So basically I'm the faculty for IPEC. You have been somebody that we've been excited about because of the level of energy and what you do. You just bring so much to a room. So thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I mean, I was excited when, when you reached out. So tell us a little bit, Pave Your Way is your company. Let's just start with the name. What does it mean to pave your way? You know, that name, it, it comes from a meta moment in my life, believe it or not. That is, it's actually one of the cooler stories that I have to tell. So before I decided to start my practice, before I decided to um, fully jump in and, and start a practice as a coach, I too was taking coach training. And the whole time I was taking coach training, I was really trying to trick myself into thinking that I was training to become a coach so I could be a better leader at my job, which felt way more secure and comfortable for me to stay in because of course it had a regular paycheck and and other benefits to it that um, for a for a mom, uh, a new mom sounded very secure. And also that represented my career track that I had always been in um, up until that point, which was marketing and advertising. So um, it was just starting to percolate though that that 
if I could do well for a company for all the years I did, that maybe just maybe I could do well going out on my own. Um, so this idea of starting my own practice, my own coaching practice was, was just coming about. And so I was having fun with thinking of names as people do when they decide they want to start their own company. And um, I went through some other iterations. One, one of the names uh, that I was considering actually was a slightly pornographic name. And because I'm so naive, I didn't realize that it was a <laughs> pornographic name until I tested it with friends and they were like, um, why are you naming your company? I was, I wanted to name it spunk and I didn't realize that that has a different connotation to it. So, uh, I was just thinking spunky, you know, yeah, don't Google that. No, well, yeah, actually I'm glad I did Google that because I almost named my company that. So at any rate, that was out the window when I realized that I was going down a path that could potentially bite me in the, you know, where, so I was like, Oh, I got to find, I got to find something else. And one day I was in traffic. I was driving down the road and I saw a one-way sign and it seriously, the whole world slowed down. I mean, it was, it's like a meta moment. And I was like, Oh my gosh, we each do things in our own unique way. It's not just one way, it's your way. And it was like, and I was like, this has got to be something about, you know, doing it your way. And I was driving and it paved your way. And it was just done. That was that. I mean, I didn't even care what people thought anymore. (laughs) There was no asking friends. That was just, I just knew that it was both literally and figuratively a sign from the world to, to go down that path. Cause that's what I was doing. I was going down my own path or about to considering it. Yeah. So take us back because you had what would seem like a pretty attractive job at a big company doing well for yourself, right? Big title. There were some comforts to that. And you just decided oh, I'm going to leave all that behind to start my own coaching practice. There's gotta be some pain points there. Oh, so many. Yeah, there were so many. I think though, when you, when you really come to realize what's most important to you, and then it also dawns on you that the way you're living your life is not very close to aligning with what's important to you. Uh, it, it has an impact on you. So there, there is a, there is an aspect to what we do as coaches that I think is so important, which is it help we help people really reconnect with the truth of who they are. And, and that also has to do with reconnecting with the truth of who they think they are, but they really are not. And sometimes we get so wrapped up. In fact, I see this over and over again. It wasn't just something that happened with myself. It happens with most of my clients because you, you attract a lot of the people who are like you, where you just get completely disconnected from yourself because it's almost like you're tangled in this uh, web of ideals, values, and um, personas that are important to everyone else. And in society, yeah, titles might mean something. Salary might mean something. Even to you, 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 you work hard in your life and you expect by a certain point that you're going to be in a certain level. And I think that was probably the case for me too, where I had lost myself a bit 
in thinking I needed to be at a certain place at a certain point um, at, at a certain period of my life. And um, the, the pain point of realizing, okay, in doing this, I'm actually negating the things that are most important to me, which for me at the time was my kids having like babies and toddlers at home and really not feeling like I was spending much quality time with them when, when they had become the most and part of my life, most important part of my life was something that, that was important for me to reconcile with and, and reconciliation does not come without pain, uh, but it usually does connect you to the truth and, and the truth I've found is, is where we're, we're going to have the, we're going to pave our way, so to speak, in, in the smoothest way when, when we accept the truth. But to your point, Brandon, that's usually not very easy in the beginning because it, it means you got to really um, change some things sometimes, change the way you're living, who you're hanging out with, uh, what type of roles you find you're in, yourself in, what type of work, and so on. What are those red flags that dawned on you that you weren't in alignment or that people can look for to realize like something's broken. I need to figure out how to realign with that truth that you speak of. That's such a good question because I think I didn't realize it at the time. So I'm glad you're asking this question because for anyone listening, I think often many of us don't realize at the time what the red flags are. So it's helpful, I think, to ask others, what were your red flags? For me, it was complete, uh, it was um, complete kind of confusion and chaos constantly in my life, feeling like I was com completely out of control, really, uh, when it came to my schedule. Um, just, just never feeling like, just feeling like more other, everyone but me was essentially in charge of, of my schedule and what I was doing. I felt 95% of the time sort of obligated to, to meetings, agendas, topics of other people, which I didn't even realize at the time. That comes in retrospect, really, but the feelings were frustration, confusion, chaos, um, disappointment, really anything that one would feel when you're, when you're not activating what's important to you hardly at all. Yeah, I've had I've, I'm kind of in that same place with my business and stuff. I've, we're kind of in the middle of a rebrand right now, and it took that realization of that. Uh, well, for one thing, I was trying to be a manager, and I've learned that I'm a visionary and not a manager. And so, I was in this role that was really just knocking me down every day, and it, it's not even where I should have been in the first place. I should be telling everyone else where to go, where we're going next and, and managing the day to day. Not only was I not good at it, but it made me feel like, oh, like I, I'm not at good at anything because I can't seem to get it together and do the things that need to be done. Uh, and then the other thing, the other piece to that is I, I realized that I care about helping people be a better version of themselves. And I was not doing any of that with my brewery. So I've really had to take a step back in the past few months and say, okay, how do I get what I care about personally in alignment with what I care about at the business? And also how do I put myself in the role that needs to, that I need to be in to get all of that stuff done without me having to actually do it. it sounds like you kind of hit that same place of, I'm just not in the right place. I'm not effective. I'm not, you know, doing the things that make me fulfilled. 
especially that last part too, Travis, just really re realizing I'm not doing the things that keep me fulfilled because I think many of us, especially when you get to a certain point in your life, and I'm sure you felt this too, Travis, you can figure anything out. Like I can, I can do just about anything fairly well, but I could do things so much better if it meant something to me. And it, it's kind of coming to terms with that and just not feeling very purposeful or just feeling really drained much of the time. And, and I would say there's a distinction. And I thought of it as you were talking, Travis, because I think it happens to many of us often, like it happens to me now in my business, where when I try something new, I go into an unknown territory, I'm going to feel discomfort and confusion then too, pretty much every time I try something new. As long as that discomfort and, and, um, and yeah, as long as that discomfort stays under the 50% mark, then it's normal because you're, you're starting something new. It's going to take time for you to get really good at it. When it starts exceeding 75% of your energy though, and you're just kind of exhausted and 75% and, and of your calendar, for instance, is booked by everyone else's agenda, but your own. I think those are times to really trust the discomfort that you're feeling and the frustration and the disappointment as, as something more maybe than self-doubt and something that possibly could signal to you that you're, you're, you're resisting either what's important to you or where you're gifted or your true strengths in order to try to be someone you're not. But it's kind of a fine line because sometimes discomfort is a really good thing too for us. But it, as with it sounded like you, with you too, Travis, you, you, realize, you realize the difference though of when it's like, no, this is not just normal discomfort because I'm trying something new. This is, this is really a, a reconciliation with the, with, the, with the truth that this is, that, that, that I, I will serve a better purpose doing something else that, that activates what's important to me in your case of visionary. And, and what's the, what's the end game for the discomfort also that I had asked myself that if I'm discomfort, if I'm uncomfortable being a manager, but I don't have a plan to stop being a manager, then that's kind of hopeless in that. But it, now I'm managing some stuff still, but I'm putting people in places that do better at the things that I'm, that I'm not good at. So there's an end game to that. At some point, I'm going to have all the right people in the right places. So I'm willing to be discomfort or uncomfortable and, um, and work through all that because I know there's an end game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great point. So how did, how did, or what about you allowed you to start to realize, okay, I have these discomforts. I realize this is in alignment. I have this other thing that I'm interested in that's still hard to actually take action towards. So is it a natural strength you had to just be able to be like, okay, I'm moving to the next thing. Or was it something you had to really work through and navigate? Yeah, I, I had to work through and navigate it for sure. And I think that sometimes you have to create an imperative for yourself that minimizes choices. If you have too many backup plans and make things too comfortable, it'll be hard to do what it takes to get it done. So I will say that when I, when I put in my notice to my job, it's like, okay, this is sink or swim. There's really no option to fail because we're a dual income family. It's important to me to contribute. Uh, it's not like we'll be living out on the streets the first year or two when it takes me a moment to, to recalibrate and catch up again. At the same time, there is no backup plan. Like, this is what I'm doing now. Uh, this is what I've decided to do. And so 
there was a financial imperative and then maybe there is a wiring in my brain a bit. If I, if I go as far to announce that I'm doing something, I'm going to fall flat on my face several times if I have to in order to make it happen before I give up. And I think that's key, by the way, is just being super willing to, um, to start over. And not be, not be, uh, not, not be the person you think you are with your title, because when you start something new, you won't be, people are going to look at you like, who the heck are you? What experience do you have? Why are you doing this? Really? Who are you? No one cares anymore, um, who you were in your organization. And truth be told, that's also pretty liberating. That was part of the, the factor that helped me leave when I went on maternity leave the first time and realized that none of my neighbors or friends cared about anything that I would have been stressing out over if I was not on maternity leave, it was like, oh my gosh, I dedicate my whole life to something that no one outside of the walls of my company really cares about, <laughs> but I make <laughs> such a big deal over it. Yeah. And that's liberating. It's like, well, then, then why do I uh, reorganize my life around it? And, and it's like, and I'm not going to put myself down that I do do that. That's great that I reorganize my life around things. So if I can do that for someone else, maybe I ought to take that energy and do it for something that I really, really care about. Not just care about, because I cared about what I did, but something I really, really care about, which is how can, for me, how can I spend more time with my kids and how can I take everything that I'm good at at work, probably best at at work, things that I care about at work, which is working with people and watching them grow, how can I apply those talents in whatever I do? And somehow that made it, that, that made it a little bit easier. Did you have like a leadership development role or a, was that your role in your corporate job or was this a complete switch of gears for you to get into coaching and personal development? I think it's a little bit of both because I had always been in advertising and marketing. So I was in a leadership role, however, in a marketing department. Okay. So I had a team, I had led people, I had managed people. And um, the higher the higher I had gotten, the more I would say individual development became necessary. I think that's what made me a, a better leader was when I learned to let go and really prop other people up to make almost make myself insignificant. That was that was often the aim. I found it just gave me more and more responsibility. As I got better with that, the more I would get promoted. And then it then it then it the realization came that this is what I actually like anyway. I mean, half of these meetings that I sit in when we're when we're we're sitting around talking about a lot of other things that I should care about. I don't really care the way I should be caring, but what I do love is when someone on my team does care. That's when I feel proud. And that was, that was an acknowledgement of, I think I just like the people aspect of, of this job. Yeah. I asked that question because it sounds like, and correct me, there was a lot of intention of finding out those, those strengths, those things you were good at, those things you wanted to continue with. And I, it kind of felt like you did that naturally, but what you're saying is you're in a completely different industry, marketing but you realized promoting people, growing people, developing them, that was something you could take with you. Did you actually sit down and mull over that? Or was that just another one of those meta moments that like, this is my gift that I can take to the next thing? 
you know, I wish it would, I wish life could be that easy where everything was a meta moment and everything could be calculated. I can't say that it was, it was more, I think what motivated me was more the imperative. I think the, the two main factors were number one, when I first realized that no wonder I'm so confused and um, stressed all the time, my number one value is my family. And I dedicate probably 15% of my overall time to my family. And that, that was not just a, 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 a striking thing to notice. It was a sad thing for me to notice. And it's like, it, it, is this really, is this really why I brought these two humans into the world? to um, see them for 30 minutes in the morning. And then, you know, right before bed, granted they were babies then, you know, so the time was limited. So that, that created an imperative for me. It's like, okay, I, you, the, you've got this one life. I want to know these two humans. I want to be involved in their lives. I think there's plenty of ways to be involved in your kids' lives if you work big jobs, by the way. I've seen a lot of people do it well. I just knew for me, that I wanted to physically be around them a lot more than I was creating in my life. So that was imperative number one. And then when you realize that, it's like, what could I do? You know, and, and then, then, then things just sort of fell into place. You know, like I found coaching sort of, I don't, it just kind of fell into place. I noticed it, I went with it, I got trained. By the time I was trained and got certified, it was like, well, this is what I have this is what I have. And this actually goes pretty well with what I can do and what I like. So you put in your notice, now I have a financial imperative because now I've, I've let go of the job. So now, now I've got to make it work. <laughs> uh, but I don't know that it, that, that in, in all of that, aside from, you know, when my name came to me, I don't know that that the, the universe was giving me clear signals about it. It was just like, okay, I'm good at this. This is the opportunity I have right now. It's time to go for it. And then you think to yourself, and if it doesn't work, then I could always go back and get a job. That was in the back of my head too. It's not like a like Russian roulette where I'm like just dead if it doesn't work. I'm still alive. <laughs> I still have the same talents. I can just get another corporate job. And I hope people hear that. Like, if you're thinking of leaving your job, just remember, you could always go back. Right. Your I mean, title, your skills, your yeah. experience, that's all still legit. Completely legit. And people like to try and, you know, friends like to try and tell you, you want, oh, the marketing field. No, it changes so much. If you take two years off to be with your kids, so much is going to change. I'm sorry. If you're a smart, capable person, it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out some new trends that have transpired. That's like two nights of reading before bed, you know? Yeah, human nature doesn't change, let's be real. <laughs> yeah, I, and, uh, yeah, especially when it comes to marketing, it's like at the end of the day, we're selling to human beings and oh my gosh, I'm a human being. <laughs> <laughs> and turns out humans don't evolve that fast over a period of two years. Oh. Anyway. So, <laughs> so I mean, that that takes me to one of my latest things that I want to develop. Actually, that's so liberating. Um, which is, well, I could we can go down that path if you want, but it is the recognition that we are all a bunch of jackasses. And if you just say it, if you just admit it, I'm a jackass, and guess what? So are you. It just like makes you at least uh, humble enough to want to try to evolve. 
but why would you even evolve if you, if you think you're just so much better than, than it's kind of just this nice thing to admit like, yeah, I've got limitations. I'm fallible. I probably will fail. And I'm just a straight up jackass really. So I'm going to try, I'm going to keep trying to be better. I'm going to, I'm going to capture this because we, somebody the other night said everyone's an imposter. So I've actually had this on my computer and it's like, it's, it was under the context of nobody really knows what they're doing. And I think in tandem with that is everyone's also a jackass. <laughs> Seriously. And I think the people, the people who are willing to admit that they're, they don't know what they're doing are the people who are going to figure it out. Exactly. Travis, exactly. Because you're like, wow, you know, there's some work to be done here. There's some discovering that has to be done. My dad, when I was growing up, I had a really eccentric, quirky dad who he, I was born when he was 50. So he was just of another generation even. And he, when I was like a teenager came up with this club that was so embarrassing to me. Cause he talked about it all the time. And it was called Ass R Us. <laughs> and he would talk about it in cocktail parties with his friends. Like I started a club. It's called Ass R Us. He even had a card that had his name that said, um, you know, President Ass or something like that. And <laughs> on the back, you would fold it so it would kind of like, you know, you would fold the card in half and the top of it would kind of stick up like half of it. And it said deflector and it had arrows pointing. Like, <laughs> and he was like, this is what I'm going to do when I go to a networking event or any, he was a bit involved in politics. When I go to a political party, I'm going to set this deflector in front of me just to block everyone's, you know, BS basically. And I, I mean, he would talk about this and I would seriously like roll my eyes and not want to be around him. But now here I am like in my early forties and I'm like, that was a brilliant, that was such a smart idea because it's so true. We all, all of us think that we know everything. And the truth is, is we're way better off when we just really come to terms with the fact that we, we know very little. And if this last year hasn't shown us that in so many different ways, you know, it's just, it helps develop, it evolves our patience. It evolves our willingness to learn. It evolves our willingness to start over. It evolves our willingness to figure it out. There's a sense of uh, humility that is actually very freeing, you know, because when you don't know it all, you don't, you don't expect to be further than you are. You, you let yourself begin wherever you are. So what do you think it actually takes for somebody to be able to admit that about themselves? I think it takes some will. Like you just, you, you want something that you're kind of willing to just make a fool of yourself. You, you are willing to fail. It just doesn't matter. So it's a bit of will. And then also probably... Uh, I think imperative helps when you, when you somehow feel like I got to do this for whatever reason I've got, I've got to do this. And also going through the experience and, and, and really being a beginner, actually falling on your face and realizing that what you fear is usually, you usually can laugh about it in retrospect. You know, if I think of my best stories as a trainer, when I'm in front of the classroom, I would say 80% of them 
um, that resonate with people are the ones of my own personal humiliation. <laughs> like my own, my own pain points in my life uh, give me the greatest doses of wisdom now. So having gone through it plenty of times myself where you take some chances and, you, and, and, and it just doesn't work out, makes you realize later on that, that that's where you often learn the most. I hope that answers your question, Travis. It's such a good one. I almost feel like I got to think about it more. It's a really good. That's a, that's a common theme that we found with our guests so far. And it's one of my favorite questions that keeps coming up is, and I love all the different answers on it, is the, the perspective on fear of failure. I, I just, I love to hear what people say and how people approach fear of failure, because I think that's where most people get caught up. And I, I talk a lot about how are you asking what if, are you asking it with potential in mind or with fear in mind. And if you ask it with potential in mind, you're going to see all of the benefits and where this thing could go. If you ask it in, with, with fear in mind, you're, it's, you're just not going to go anywhere. So how do you, what's your perspective on fear of failure? I'm getting to the point where I am expecting fear. So I'm normalizing fear because I've just never had a time where I was taking a risk or trying something new where I haven't had fear. And sometimes that fear is actually really healthy, you know, like it cues me up to be in performance mode. You know, what it tells me, what it signals to me is that I'm taking a risk. So yeah, of course I'm going to feel a little bit of natural fear. So instead of trying to push it away, I kind of welcome it more. And by welcoming it, I experience it more often. Um, when I welcome it and by experiencing it more often, you just get to know it. And so you form a different relationship with the fear. I, someone once told me about a cool bumper sticker that apparently was, they saw in the climbing community, like rock climbing community. I've only been rock climbing a few times. I'm not this big rock climber, but um, it came from someone I knew who was a big rock climber. And he said, in the climbing community, we don't say uh, no fear as an N-O fear. We say no fear as in K-N-O-W fear. Know it, understand it, because fear is a natural human emotion. And I think many of us try to push it away or resist it or act as if uh, we're not allowed to have it. And the truth is it's on the spectrum of human emotion. We're going to feel it, especially when we try something new. So just expect it expect it and welcome it. Um, and the more you do, the more you'll know how to navigate it. There's healthy fear. Sometimes fear can be very, it can be healthy. It puts you in preparation mode, but I have to challenge myself sometimes on it because sometimes it gets me more than I'd like it to. Still a work in progress for me, I would say. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's a human nature, like fear is a natural thing. Society tells us that it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the disconnect. It's like, it's, you're going to have fear. You're going to be scared of things. It's how you frame it and what you do with it and your relationship with it that makes all the difference. I had a, the, we were doing this big expansion at the brewery before we started and it, it was looking like it was going to cost more than we thought it was. And it ended up costing more than, but the, the guy that put the uh, investment team together kept telling me, if you're not scared of it, it's not big enough. And I, that just sat with me it still sits with me of just like, it's such a good way to reframe it. Like, am I scared of it? Yeah, probably then it's a big thing then. And that's okay. Yeah. I love that. How does somebody start to navigate that though? Cause in my experience, 
if I'm sitting in a place of complacency where my emotions are pretty much under my control because I'm only exposing myself to the same thing day in and day out, it's hard for me to put myself in the place of fear because I can control everything in my day to day if I just maintain my pattern. What do you offer to somebody though? That's like, I want to do this, but I'm scared. And it's that first getting to know fear experience. How do you get that momentum? Yeah, that's such a great point because a, a comfort zone, even in coaching, we say that the comfort zone is the toughest place to coach because it's comfortable. So even when someone wants something, it's hard hard for them to see on their own why they'd want to move to a place of discomfort when they're comfortable. And I think maybe that's where the, the underlying question of, you know, why do you want it becomes important because oftentimes what you want um, has a deeper purpose to it when you ask, well, why is it, what is it that you really, really want? You know, so in my case, you want to start your own coaching practice. Great. What is it you really, really want? Well, I want freedom to also spend time with my number one clients who are my kids. And that's, that's a, that's going to be something that's going to drive me a bit, um, further. It can be hard though, to get to that. What do I really, really want question? So, I mean, sometimes I think, you know, uh, certainly I tend to do this and many of us tend to do this where everything has to be so complicated. You know, it's like we have to read a self-help book for everything that's asked, how do you do it? Well, sometimes maybe it just comes back to like the good old Nike slogan, just freaking do it, just do it. Just know like everyone you're talking to, everyone you're listening to on Travis and Brandon's podcast is saying that fear is a part of pushing towards what you want. So if you haven't tried it, Stop doubting yourself that you're fearful about trying something new, accept it as an absolute normal part of the process and just get over it. Just tell yourself to get over it and then do it and see what happens. Sometimes it doesn't have to be any more um, complicated than that. Granted, that takes willpower for sure. Um, but why does anyone do anything? You know, at some point, there is also this idea that action cures fear. You know, sometimes you really have to just stop thinking about it and you just have to start moving your physical body and just doing it. And then as you do it, you realize it's not, it's not as bad as you were contemplating. Like, that's how I feel about moving. When we moved into this house, you know, the, the dwelling that you put into, oh, we got to move. Oh, we got to pack boxes Oh, Like just, that is so painful. And then you do it and it's like two days of kind of, you know, getting some good exercise, moving stuff around, getting a lot done, you know, stopping for pizza, maybe it's actually kind of, there's moments of fun in the actual process. Uh, and I think that's how just about anything is. It's, it's the overthinking and the overplanning that can be torture to us. But if you just did it, and instead of spending all this time on the pre-plan, just like, well, maybe the plan's good enough and I just do it and see if the world gives me any more reason to plan anything else, um, we'd all get a little bit further. I see a lot of people in my world just overthinking, overcomplicating the heck out of the simplest stuff. It's almost like, sorry guys, but like stop the podcast, stop the social media, stop the self-help books and seriously get out of your house and like just do something. Stop asking people, you know? Mike Tyson has a saying that everybody, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yes. Like, 
<laughs> and you will get punched in the face. And Travis, you had the same experience, right? Like, how do you feel about business plans? Oh, uh, well, oh, well, yeah. You're talking like going back to my original business plan. Yeah. How many times have you opened it? it <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm writing another one right now and I haven't written one in seven years, but this time it's way easier. Yeah. I, it took me 18 months to write my first business plan. And it just, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I had to work through every single little step and it was painstaking, but now I'm doing it again for this new venture that we're bringing into the brewery and like, like a weekend, I've got a really good plan. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it was scary at first. I mean, everything about jumping out into that brewery scene was scary at first. Like I quit my job and, uh, I, you know, had two tiny kids and it was like, everything about it was scary and big and new and. I had no business sense and no background in education or brewing for that matter. And yeah, yeah, everything was scary about it. And then we, you know, two years ago, we did a three and a half million dollar expansion and that was scary again. And now I'm looking at throwing a, another business into the mix that, that works with the brewery. And, and so it's, again, I'm looking at new and scary and I don't know how to do this, but it, you know, in a week I've gotten the plan down. Whereas seven years ago, it took me 18 months to do the same plan. So I don't know if that answers your question, <laughs> Brandon, but no, in that, in that sense too, though, Travis, like that type of business plan to me is an action, you know, it's like, it's taking your knowledge and putting it now on paper. That is an action, which, which starts to cure fear, mapping it out. I think many of us though, can get also into this overdrive research phase where it's like, we're, we're continuously asking others how they did it, what they think, instead of finally putting some of our ideas onto paper and just getting going on something and, and show even showing that to someone so we can get feedback on our thinking would likely be more productive in terms of moving forward than sitting in this land of contemplation and planning in your head and making more air quote plans that kind of exist out in the ether and, and there's no activation to it. I don't even know if I'm making sense. You guys, <laughs> you said ether, so it's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dr dreams are dreams until you take action on them. They don't become plans until you take action really. So you could dream for your whole life and never get a single thing done. Yeah. It's the yeah. action piece. Yeah. And that's where I think sometimes it's like, how do you do it? How do you get over fear? Well, you know, on the physical plane, the, the way we get ideas out of the ether is by bringing them to the ground, planet earth, you know, and, and it's almost like, how do I embody this idea? Is it going to be through my pen? Is it going to be through the stroke of a keyboard? Is it going to be through my voice, through a podcast or a speech, but how am I going to use my physical body to now bring these ideas into this physical plane we live in. And then the idea becomes real. Now, now the fear is being cured through, through our action because it's out there now. And once it's out there, you've got something to nurture. I love that because earlier you're talking about how do you see yourself? And, and I know like whenever you're going through coaching, the I am statements, right? Are a really big thing. Like, who am I in this world, in my relationships, with myself? And then you bring this full circle to like, how are you actually going to embody this? So who do you want to be? How are you going to be in this world of fear? Are you the person, are you showing up as the person you want to be in the face of fear? Or are you just 
snaking out of it because you're told by society that mm, this probably isn't for you. Hmm. All right. I've had my aha moment. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah. Well, can we, can we dig into energy a little bit, Nina? I know you, you coach on energy and stuff. Can you just do, give us a brief overview of, of what it means to show up with energy and then how do you coach people to show up with the right energy? So from my school of training, there are different levels of energy as you two are familiar with, there's different levels of energy and without, without boring anyone half to death, it, the, the simplest way of looking at it is there's catabolic energy and there's anabolic energy and catabolic energy tends to be where we are considering ourselves um, more than the world around us and the outer world around us, everything that we experience is in conjunction um, or compared to the self. The self is always a part of the story. So someone does something and uh, I'll have the tendency to somehow make what someone else does about me in catabolic energy. And we're, we're also looking at the world through the lens of problem as opposed to solution. And oftentimes the problem um, has to do with where the self is. Either I'm the problem or everyone else is a problem because they're offending me somehow, but somehow I'm at the center of, of where the problems are formed. And in that lens of energy that we all experience, often all of us, again, that there, there is no good or bad energy. It's just stuff that we experience. What it does is it takes us away from possibility and, and, and exposure to opportunity. We're not seeing things very creatively because we're, we're making everything about us, I, I think is the simplest way of saying it. So we call that more destructive energy confining energy, restrictive energy, you're not seeing the most of the situation from there. And then anabolic energy is more of that expansive, creative, opportunistic energy where we see the world through the lens of possibility and opportunity. So the same thing could happen to us. We could have the same encounter with the same people, the same situation, and yet, instead of seeing it through the lens of this is a problem, we get to a place of this is purely an opportunity. Where is the opportunity? What is there to learn? Let me get curious about this, about the situation. So there's a level of honesty there where we can still experience the same situation without glossing it over as positive or negative. Just recognizing that whether it's painful or joyful, there's likely an opportunity in it. And to your second question, Travis, how that impacts the way we show up, I wouldn't call it necessarily one or the other, the right energy, because it really depends on the situation. You know, so for instance, you can look at the world right now and current events, and one could say that rioting and uh, protests have been both destructive and purposeful. The, 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 we, we could say that, you know, there's been a lot of maybe necessary change in the world because of uh, people showing up destructively. And we could also say that there's been impacts that have been very harmful to society, but it's kind of a both and. So the, the thing that we want to look at is the short-term and long-term benefits of the two. Usually catabolic energy has its advantages more in the short term. It's a fight or flight response. And sometimes fight or flight is a, is a um, very useful space of energy for us. 
So for instance, if I'm getting chased by a tiger, I would probably want to activate my catabolic energy to survive that situation. That wouldn't be the time to want to like think creatively so much. I'd want to have tunnel vision. I'd want to either run or fight that darn What's tiger. the opportunity here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me think. I'm curious about this tiger that's spreading towards me. Um, you know, when I look at that, like even from the from the perspective of um, social justice, every revolution, you know, if a if a society stays in a revolutionary phase for too long, it implodes. Um, yet in the short term, for sometimes for a voice to be heard, we've got to activate our anger, we've got to activate our fire, and that can have some short term gains. And the, you know, again, the long-term, uh, the, the long-term effects of that can really induce a, a, a level of stress that is not useful to a person or society. So what's right or wrong? You know, back to your question, Travis, sometimes catabolic energy actually can be right. It can be the right thing to activate. No one really knows, but the individual who's choosing it though, because everyone's going to experience it differently. You know, so not everyone's going to agree in terms of whether it's right or wrong, which is why it's very hard to, to give anything that terminology. What is right? What is wrong? Everyone has a different perspective about that, as we see in even the political world right now. What is right? What is wrong? Anabolic energy for the individual tends to impart more long-term benefits. In the short term, though, it can have some disadvantages. So for instance, you know, if you're if you're uh, always seeing opportunity in everything, the world is not always with you there. Not everyone is, is able to see it that way. You, you could come across, for instance, as a, as a bit aloof, maybe very disconnected from reality, uh, which doesn't mean you are. It just means it might be harder to communicate. If you're always seeing things through the lens of possibility, but the world around you is experiencing something as a problem, you can really miss each other in communication. So I think one of the most important parts about working and coaching energy is just teaching people first what it is. There's catabolic energy, there's anabolic energy, becoming conscious as to where you are and where you want to be. And then furthermore, working with others by honoring where they are and uh, starting meeting people where they are and then growing together to where we want to be, not just where I want to be or staying where you want to be. Um, I, that, I hope that helps Travis. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Right, right and wrong. Uh, maybe it was a bad way to phrase it. So I'll, I'll take a second shot at it. How do we, what are some practical ways that we can be aware of what energy maybe we should be using at the time? And, and what are some tact, uh, practical ways we can be in control of the energy that we bring? So I think maybe one of the easiest ways is to ask ourselves, how do I want to show up and what does this look like if I label this situation as a problem? And I give myself that ability to label something as a problem without judging myself because I too am human and I label things. We all do, Sometimes, especially when we're experiencing catabolic energy. We do, which by the way, we all do. We all experience it. So um, if I view this as a problem, how do I want to show up with it? How are others going to respond to me? What are my ideas, if any? Or, or just how do I want to respond to it? Because I might not even have ideas there. It just might be highlighting the problem and what that means for me, for you, for us. 
Then the, the, I think that, and this is really simplified, the other side of that coin is what if this, this is purely an opportunity and, and, and really no problems exist, period. This is only an opportunity. Then how do I show up? Where do I find it? What do I look for? What questions do I ask myself? If, if even this situation, which might seem, you know, air quotes, tough on the surface is, is purely an opportunity, then what? And I think that alone can really shift the way we view things. I think that's like the simplest tip I have. And I think there's a million ways as you understand more what every energy level is to work within each and give yourself the opportunity to experience a situation at every energy level and then just consciously choose. This is what's gonna work for me in this particular one. But without the background as to what every energy level is, it's simply what is this through the lens of problem as opposed to opportunity? And you can almost feel the shift mentally and sometimes even in your body with where you go. Can, can we put this in some context? And, and if it's easier, if it's easiest for you, maybe in a career path, if I'm in that same place where you were, where this isn't feel right, and I'm having conflict at work, and I'll talk firsthand experience, I know, when I start having conflict with the people around me, it's probably time for me to move on, because I know it's not about the people, there's something else there. So how does that catabolic, anabolic, what you just said, that practical tip of what's the problem versus what's the opportunity play out in that instance, just so we can put the rubber on the road a little bit. Yeah. Good idea, Brandon. So in that case too, I would take an, I would take it even a step further, you know, if, if, because in catabolic energy, usually the problem is I'm making it about myself. So it's, I'm not getting along with people at work. There's a problem going on and either the problem's me or the problem is them because they're, they're, um, what they're doing is not helping me, but, but either way, I'm at the center of it. <laughs> so you, you, you play it out. Well, if I, if I'm taking things personally and I'm making the situation with my colleagues about me, how does this play out? But then the flip side of that, where the opportunity is, is what if this had nothing to do with me and there was only an opportunity to learn from this situation, what would I be learning? So, but then Brandon, you asked, did I answer your question? That was in the case of the example you just gave. And then was there a question about, um, with career? Yeah, I, I was just looking for in that context, if I think that I'm ready to move on and I'm showing up every day in a catabolic state, it, it might be as easy as you just said is taking a breath before you walk through the door and be like, okay, there's an opportunity here. I just need to be cognizant of looking for it. Is it really that simple of just opening up that it's the reticular activating system, right? You buy a red car, you see a red car. Are you just planting that seed? So you walk in and you're looking for opportunity. You see opportunity. Is it that simple? Yeah, it's, it's opening up the possibility that you wouldn't be there unless there was a purpose. And, and through acceptance of that, which, which is a, an anabolic energy level where you see purpose in, in all things, um, you might be more prone then to get a lesson that could carry you forward. Because truthfully, a lot of people just avoid tense situations, which is a, which is a catabolic energy level. 
You know, we avoid things because they're uncomfortable. Well, sometimes discomfort, as we talked about at the opening of, of our time together, discomfort is where we learn the most. And so if we just shut down and say, well, now I've got to leave because I'm not getting along with people, then what we do is we probably will find ourselves in a similar situation with a different cast of characters later because we never got the lesson the last time. So that, that's where it almost becomes imperative in a situation like this. Before you just leave and go to another place or leave a job, you may really want to explore what are the lessons because I, I do have this job. I was brought here for some sort of purpose. Do I want to leave it without ever learning what that is and stay resentful towards the people in the job forever? Or do I want to take everything I possibly can from this experience and apply it forward? If for nothing else, so there's no repeat. But truthfully, the, the truth is, is if you did see the opportunity in it, you probably, we all, we all get gold from those moments of discomfort um, and, and gold in terms of how we're showing up. Because the truth is, is the less personal we're taking things, which by the way, we step into opportunistic mindsets more easily when we are not taking things personally, when we're not making everything about us, then we just can observe what's happening uh, including our own behavior, recognizing that people are just responding to us. Um, so how are we showing up? I've always known in my life that it's one thing if I have a problem with one or two people in my life, uh, but if I have a similar problem with most people in my life, the common denominator is definitely me. And that can be a really uncomfortable thing to sit with. And at the same time, a life changer when we do. It's like, it's my behavior, actually. It's, it's not everyone in the world is crazy. Like I said earlier, we're all jackasses. <laughs> I just think that's an underlying truth. I just do. As long as we include ourselves in the equation. Yeah, all is inclusive. Yes. Well, and hopefully if you can come to that conclusion that, hey, maybe I'm the common denominator, hopefully that creates an imperative for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, way to tie it back, Travis. Yeah, an imperative because it's like, if I want to change this, it's not a new job that's going to change it. It's not avoiding the situation or removing me from the situation that's going to change it. Like, I've got to look at myself for sure. You didn't say this, but what comes to mind whenever you're talking about this is it's really taking complete ownership of the life around you and how you're showing up, how you're putting yourself out there. And I don't know, are you familiar with sad guru at all? No, I'm oh, not. I'm going to send you. So he's this, he's an Indian guru. He's, but he's kind of like mainstream. He rides a motorcycle and wears sunglasses. You know, he's hip, he's with it, but he has, he has this thing that he talks about talking about responsibility and people don't want to take responsibility, but literally the root word is respond. So just by responding, you're taking some level level of responsibility. Are you responding from a place of catabolic energy where you're avoiding it or you're showing up in conflict, or are you responding in a place that's productive, she shows opportunity, is inclusive? Either way, you've got to take responsibility and ownership for it, right? Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, I have always liked the distinction between a reaction and a response. And I've also heard the term with response, response ability, like I'm able to respond. And what I would say with, with anabolic energy, when we have an opportunistic mindset that's open to possibility, not taking things personally, we have more ability to respond. 
in, uh, in a productive way. When, when we are making everything about us, which means we're taking things personally and we're making, uh, we're, looking at the we're looking at the world through the lens of problem, we're not responding, we're reacting. We're reacting unconsciously usually. We're, we're reacting through a habitual pattern of how we show up with somebody instead of consciously choosing how we want to show up. And those are two very different things. It starts with that awareness and the ownership of what my part is. Yeah, it does. <laughs> my wife always, when my kids get into an argument, she always says, there are three sides to the story. There's, there's both kids side and then there's the truth somewhere in the middle. So that's, uh, it's <laughs> maybe a good way to look at any situation like that. Like there's, there's my perspective and there is your perspective and somewhere in the middle, there's reality. So yes. are, are we willing to own that and to be aware of it and, and to acknowledge that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I often see that two different sides too, like two different people coming at something with almost what seems like polar opposite ways of approaching it. When you start talking it out long enough, if anyone allows that to happen, which by the way, two people with different perspectives and opinions will only ever be able to talk to each other if they're not taking things personally. <laughs> if they're approaching the situation through curiosity and seeking to understand, what you find is suddenly everything becomes gray and you don't even realize your differences anymore. It's like, what is a good war story movie? It's where you lose track of who the enemy is. And I think that happens when it comes to the truth. Um, you know, again, what is the truth? You know, we, 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 we tend to think that, you know, there's, there's very black and white ways to come at the truth. Well, the truth is, is when you really talk that out, they almost, it almost starts to become one people's intentions become one when, when it's talked out long enough to the point where it's like, why are we even talking about this? We agree, you know, first we agreed to disagree, but now we're still talking and you, you start to lose track because truth is made up of opposites. That is the truth. So if we're looking to, Brandon's, Brandon's like, Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking of if we're going to get personal here, COVID puts a lot of stress on relationships of close proximity. My wife and I are living in an 800 square foot bungalow. And there's been a lot of this conflicting truth conversation of, oh, that's your perspective. This is my perspective. And you're right. Like in that instance, if it was anybody else, I'm like, no, you're an idiot. Go away. I'm right. I don't care what your perspective is. But because I'm so committed to that relationship and I want to know what her truth is and feeling that then you're forced to have that dialogue. You're forced to meet that energy and at least start to come together, like you're saying. And eventually it pans out. And I just think that's a really unique example. And that was a good conversation you had about people having conflict that I see it in my personal life all the time. And it just really is, am I committed to having that dialogue with you or not? And that's my choice. Yeah. And you hit me in the face with that just now. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's to, you know, I had a great client once uh, one of my first clients, I'll never forget it. He came up with this example. It, you know, if you think about it, most innovation is coming through tension. It, 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 people, people don't invent great things by sitting around and agreeing all the time. Like the, the way we get out of our heads and get creative is when we talk to people who challenge us, who challenge our thinking. 
um, because then it makes us kind of rewire how we were thinking about it. And uh, anyway, he brought up this example of how he's like, you know, if you think about it, the mountains, these glorious things that you're in Colorado, we look at every day would have never been formed without two plates forcefully, you know, pushing against each other. Creation happens through conflict. And I think too many of us think that conflict is something to be avoided. You know, we go, we think that peace will be attained through peace. Uh, peace is usually attained through tension. Um, you, you have to think of any, think of any productive uh, argument you've had with someone. Uh, and maybe I'm off here, but for me, and I'm also a passionate person. So, you know, the, I, I, it always starts with like 10 minutes of tension and, oh, you know, and then after you get through those 10 minutes of just truth, hard truths, then you start getting somewhere. It's like, you're on a walk together. You're on a journey in a sense. But if you allow that first 10 minutes of tension and conflict, if you just gloss over it and skip over it, the long-term tension you're both going to feel together is going to be endless because you're not addressing truths because you're avoiding it because for some reason it's bad because we can't be uncomfortable. We can't be fearful. We can't be afraid we can't all this stuff. And it's like, well, if you just see the fear, the frustration, the conflict as, as an opportunity, then you allow yourself to just experience it and you let yourself be more honest and coming full circle. If you just buy into the fact that you two are a jackass, then maybe you'll release the truth. You don't have to be right. You know, you two are allowed to be a jackass. So just, you know, say how you felt. Yeah. You felt, you, you felt frustrated. You're not perfect. Tell someone why you felt frustrated. Let them duke it out with you. And yeah, the better things can be created together that way. I wish the world could get there truthfully, because right now we're just pointing at each other and we're blaming each other a lot instead of listening. Yeah. Well, I think that comes back again, full circle again. I think it comes back to comfort zone. Like Progress does not happen in your comfort zone, Yes. but we, we all want to stay in our comfort zones. And whether that's a political conversation or a personal development or a career choice, like we all want to stay in our comfort zones and progress just doesn't happen in a comfort zone. And part of what I think makes us comfortable is compartmentalizing things. You know, it's like, oh, well, these two things cannot exist together because they never have. And when you start talking with other smart people who think very differently than you, you realize, oh, maybe these two things could actually exist together. We, they just haven't before. We don't necessarily have to, we will, we will always live by the by labels of society and until we choose for ourselves what, what, what our, what our truth is, you know, and I think that is so important too, for our own career transition progress. When we, when we contemplate doing something that takes courage, addressing a fear and moving through it, um, at the end of the day, you can't listen to what everyone else thinks is possible. And um, because again, what is the truth? I, it really can only, when it comes to your life, be defined by you. It can't be defined by the news. It can't be defined by your friends. It can't be defined by your parents. You know, at some point you've got to, you've got to figure that out. Yeah. I, I think the two powerful words put together. Yes. And mm -hmm. like, yes, that can exist. 
and this other thing can exist. And yeah. it, it's, we draw a line in the sand and say, well, I can't be, I can't be this way and be, you know, be the other way too. Well, you, re you really can. Like there is a way to incorporate all of those things in the right way. It doesn't have to be black and white. There's so much gray area in the middle where you can say, yeah, that and this. Yeah. And then I love to, then I love to tag it with how and how. Yeah. Well, that's the that's next possible. question. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we're kind of set up that way though. I mean, since we're, we hold politics in this a little bit, like it's black or white, it's left, right, blue, red, pick a side, pick a team. And even if you're not in politics, if you're in a sports, pick a team. And I don't like those people because they're on the different team. And our whole society has been, and this is something that I've battled with. Like I grew up in a very conservative household and I found myself not so conservative anymore. And it's been a lot of conflict for me. And I'm coming to the realization, like I can still have a lot of conservative values and still be very liberal in some areas of my life. And that's a really hard pill for people around me to swallow, for me to swallow. So how do we get past that? It has to be this or that just within our own dialogue. Yeah, I, I mean, it's such a, it is such a great question because at the end of the day, much of human nature, we do want to be right. It does feel good to be right. That strokes our egos. So there's the, many of us feel gratification when we turn out to be right. You know, it's like winning a little prize. Like, oh, I told you, like, I knew that would happen. You know, it's right. So I, I mean, I, I don't know that that's ever going to fully go away. But again, I think it does come back to imperative, you know, when, when society finds itself in a place where things are getting really um, a lot tougher and destructive when, when you're not finding ways to communicate with others. You know, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. You know, another great thing, dose of wisdom my dad gave me once, sometimes the elevator has to go all the way down before it goes up. You know, it just has to hit the, hit the bottom floor. And you see that so much in the world. You know, sometimes a pendulum really has to go to an extreme before it's going to find its center. Um, and usually a pendulum is going to an extreme because it, it was at another extreme. And so it's just, you know, it's swinging. And once it, once it'll, it'll finally rebalance and maybe come back to its center, but not without, not without um, sometimes things getting tougher before, before they get into balance. And, and that's something that gives me uh it makes me actually kind of excited with, with where we are in the world, you know, because this, this, again, like around the corner of mass discomfort is usually a reconciliation, which is an indicator of, of change. And some change can be really even more uncomfortable and other change is just really absolutely necessary and, and, and we're ready for it. Which again, why there's no right or wrong energy, you know, because sometimes it takes destruction for growth to happen. Things have to break down before something new can come in, which, you know, destruction, I would say is catabolic energy, just in terms of the energy of the word and growth and expansion is more anabolic energy. It resonates there. But here, once again, we find our, we find them needing each other. That's where it gets gray. They, they almost need each other to exist opposites need each other to exist. We need different perspectives. 
every point has its counterpoint. That's a that's an old Zen, uh, an old Zen saying. Every point has its counterpoint. You can see it in the landscape. You know, there's the, there's a valley, and then there's the mountain, and the valley doesn't exist without the mountain, and the mountain doesn't exist without the valley. <laughs> so, right, these counterpoints need each other. <laughs> My 2021 summer body doesn't exist without my 2020 COVID body. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the way to look at it. Exactly. Uh, also, I just heard uh, I just heard you bring some opportunity into COVID, which I'm personally having a hard time finding. So good job. <laughs> I think we'll we'll look back. We'll look back at this time and. Uh, I can, I can name a million things that have been better for us. And I'm not just saying that to see the bright, shiny side of things. And there's things I really appreciate about COVID. And then there's things that drive me nuts, of course. So, Yeah, can we get into that? Because within this last year, you've been really hitting social media. Let's pull this back to the work that you're doing and how you've grown your, uh, your coaching business. I remember one of their first videos, you're like, all right, I'm pulling the trigger and I'm uncomfortable going live. And I think since then you've done a dozen or so that I've seen, and I don't know how many, but you're, you're starting to get a good feel for it. What has that growth been like during COVID and how have you seized the opportunity of the downtime to start to grow that part of your business? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the things that this, um, this online coaching program that I've built has been one of the major creations of COVID. It would have been harder to get done truthfully without COVID. Um, Back to social media though, that I love that you brought that up, Brandon, because talk about facing discomfort. I, I, oh my gosh. And it still makes me uncomfortable, but now it's coming down to action cures fear. It's like, I can sit around and overthink uh, something that I'm going to say if I go live or I can just do it and then you do it. And it's like, Oh, well, if I did it then today, I can, I can do it again in a couple of weeks if I feel like it. And it's just like the more, the more routine it becomes, the less of a big deal. The first time though, I ever did a Facebook live. Cause they really do make me uncomfortable. I, it was like, Oh, Oh, I can't believe it. But I felt like I had to do it because I launched this program and it's an online program. So, I mean, you can't, it's, it's hard to promote an online program if you're not online. So yeah, but COVID that that's one of the gifts that it's, that it's given. And, and one of the reasons I built the program, it's, it's to help people navigate their career transition. I just felt like it's kind of now or never, because I felt that in the world too. It's like all these people who are used to working in offices are now working at home. And when this is all done, their world's just going to change because they've been exposed to a whole different way of doing things. And when that happens, when you're exposed to a different way of doing things, you're exposed to possibility, your paradigm shifts. And when a paradigm shifts is often when we transition. So I wanted to get this ready for, for the world, <laughs> get this ready for now. So I felt like a sense of urgency around creating it and getting it done because of COVID. It's like, now's the time I got to get this done. This information has to get out there because it's hard to transition. And I think what we need the most during times of transition is uh, just kind of a confidence builder, just a constant reminder that the self-doubt you're feeling is totally normal. Keep going, push through it. All the things we're talking about today. How do you, how do you get that program? How do you coach transitions? Because 
really our goal with this podcast is to help people get in the right places to do those kinds of things like transition out of jobs they don't like and get into careers or entrepreneurship or, or something that aligns with what they care about. What are some of the things that you teach in that class that, that help people transition? Yeah. So um, great layup, Travis. The, the um, program itself is called the PAVE Challenge and PAVE is an acronym for um, P, which is presence. And, and essentially that's just reconnecting with your truths, not what you think you want, not what you've been told you need to have by a certain age or what you, you thought you needed to be doing by a certain time of your life, but really getting down to the root of what's true for you um, and what's important to you and stripping that down and also facing some untruths, some things that maybe you've been buying into unconsciously without realizing it. Then the A stands for acceptance. And that really starts to get into um, working with reality. I think too many of us, when we start something new, we expect ourselves to be Oprah, like right away, or we use a better example. Like we expect to be uh, you know, would do it the way Steve's jobs would have done it, you know, and it, it's just kind of like, yeah, but you're not, you're not them, you know, like you, you, you probably would be better off if you, you know, found some obscure publication of when they weren't who they were, when they were more like you and, and read about what they were doing then, that because that's your reality. And I think we overwhelm ourselves so much by not being in acceptance. We, we do not, we refuse to accept our reality. And in doing so, we start like a hundred paces beyond where we are. And then we overwhelm ourselves and then we give up and then we go back to a job, to our corporate job. So A is all about acceptance, work with reality. Stop living in a fantasy. Your fantasy is a vision but that doesn't, that the, it's not necessarily your reality yet. Keyword yet. You will make it, you will make it your reality actually sooner. You just go ahead and accept where you are. So that's the presence is A, or P is presence, A is acceptance. Then V, we get into visualization, which we don't get into until you accept reality. The V is where we really learn how to tap into our intuition, our creative powers. Um, ideation, thinking beyond reality, transcending reality, what could be. And then the E is execute. And execute is essentially the bridge between your acceptance and, and visualization. You're always wanting people to do stuff. Why can't we just visualize it? <laughs> yeah, but then it stays in the ether, your favorite word, Brandon. <laughs> and then getting back to the meta moment of pain. Like at some point, the wheels do have to hit the pavement, right? Otherwise, it does just remain an idea. Yeah. I have a phrase in that acceptance portion. I have a, a phrase that I find myself saying a lot. Everybody is a nobody until there is somebody. I love that. Everybody started like Oprah got fired from a TV position before, you know, now she owns TV. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I'm going to say to that, right? I would change that to everybody is a jackass <laughs> before they realize that there's somebody. D does it change when you become somebody? No, actually it doesn't. <laughs> I just, I would change it to everybody is a jackass because <laughs> we never stop growing. Right. Yeah. But I, that's just so true though. People, people look at what everybody else is doing and just say to themselves, well, I could never do that. Yeah. Well, at some point in that person's life, 
they weren't successful either. They created that. Yep. It can stifle you too. Like I've caught myself before, before I built this online program, I saw people who built online programs five years ago and looked at where they were and it overwhelmed me. Like, oh, I can't do that. That's like crazy. That's so time consuming. And it's like, well, you no wonder that would overwhelm me because they're five years ahead of me. So just start where I am. Um, and then one foot in front of the other small, I mean, the, the visualization can be big. And the truth is, is our activations, our steps um, are, are probably going to serve us better when they're, they're much smaller. Can you walk us through how you, how you navigated your own energy in that instance? Because we all have that, that problem with comparing ourselves to someone who's years ahead of us. And right away, that's catabolic energy. It's, I can't do that. That's not for me. They've got this that I don't. But you said you were able to bring yourself back to be like, okay, obviously, they're five years ahead of me. They have more. How did you work yourself through that so that you could show up and put yourself in the right place to do the things you needed to do? Everyone is so different. So I can answer it for, for myself. Also acknowledging that I'm a pretty independent person. I like working independently. I like working in teams too, but I really actually get more done independently. So for me, it's just shutting it off. Then you're just not comparing yourself at all. You're just, you just let yourself sometimes be in your bubble. You know, you, you, you let yourself, you, you recognize, you know what, I've done a lot of learning because I had just come off of a big learning year. There were multiple continuing ed things that I did that, that are, that I pull into this online um, course. So it was finally just shutting it off. Like, okay, enough with the learning, enough with seeing what everyone else is doing, enough with the comparing, shut it off and just wake up early in the morning and write. And, and be in your own thoughts, be in your own process and, and let that come out and really trust that what's kind of, what, what flows through you, just whether you like it or not, just get it down. And that helped me. And I think it helps a lot of people because the world is pretty noisy. The fact that we do have access to people so easily and that's what presence is about in the P by the way of the program is really getting still and getting quiet is it's hard to find what your truths are when you're in your to-do list all the time and you're busying yourself all the time with another activity. It's very, very hard to get present with yourself. So I think some of us have to be really disciplined about getting still, being alone, not talking, not calling people every time you go for a walk, every time you have a free moment which a lot of people do. It's like, oh, I'm going for a walk. Who can I call? Instead of I'm going for a walk. Not what podcast can I listen to? Not who can I call? Just be on this walk. It can be really tough in, in, in this world of busyness. Yeah. Three years from now, we're going to be on episode 200. We're going to do round two. We're going to have you on to tell the story of how you were a no one until you were a somebody. Yeah, but I'm still going to be a podcast, Travis. <laughs> you are, you know, I, apparently we're never going to get away from that. <laughs> no, I, I know, I'll stop now. <laughs> like, beat, beat that horse. Just like That's the episode. I mean, that's the name of it. Yeah, everybody's a jackass. 
I'm a jackass. You're a jackass. We're all. There's brilliance in that though. Like if you know that you're going to fail, it's going to suck. You don't know what you're doing. Who cares? No, no, neither does anyone else. Try it. Figure out what happens. Yeah. Like well, it's truthfully, Brandon, that'll make it not suck. It, it's actually not going to suck. It's just going to happen. And you're going to move on faster that way. It, the, the things failure sucks when you're not expect when you're expecting to be perfect all the time. That's when it sucks. That's when it's a blow to your ego. But if you're just like, well, I am a beginner. I'm a total beginner. So why would it, why, why would I do this well? You know, like first time I ever published a blog article, why would this be a good article? I, like I, at some point I have to hit publish. So like, I'm just going to do it and expect that it's probably, you know, I'll just expect that it's not that great. And at, and at best, I'll, I'll surprise myself. People might like it a lot better. Or it might be a lot better than you thought it would have. At worst, it's just going to align with, well, of course, I'm a beginner. It's not that great. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep working at it. I'm really glad you brought that up because I've been trying to figure out how to weave in this question and you just opened the gate. I don't know if you remember this, but one of the practices, whenever we were going through the coaching certificate was we did a, a round robin coaching of you, the facilitator, and everybody got to ask you a question. And one of the things you wanted to work on was how do you bring more of your personality into your blog posts? Cause you had been writing them for a while, but I think at the time you said they just felt dry or that it wasn't you. It wasn't who you were. And if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, you can see she's a lot of personality. So to think that you weren't able to get that into your writing and reflect on that now, it's pretty amazing to hear you say all these things and figure out how that that's evolved. What was that growth process for those blog writings for you? Because it was something you were very intentional about. That was two years ago at this point, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you brought that up, Brandon. Um, I, I think the best way to summarize it is, and I have a tendency to talk this way too, so it's still a work in progress where you kind of talk out there. Um, it's it's things are very conceptual. You, you kind of talk out there instead of instead of internalizing it. And um, you know, like you've asked me some good questions throughout. Like, hey, can you give me some specifics? How does what you say, what you, what you just said there, how does it work in this specific scenario? Well, that's when things get interesting to people. And, and I tend to be a bigger thinker. So sometimes I talk bigger, more conceptual, and I don't ground it. I don't ground things into, into, into my person, which is, which is where a story is told. Um, I think I've gotten better in that respect. And it's still a work in progress. I will say there, there's a couple articles that I've written recently where a few people have, have written me and said, man, are you taking a writing course? And it's like, no, I'm not taking a writing course. I'm just getting less afraid of exposing myself in these concepts. It's, I'm not just highlighting how I see it in clients or how I see it in the world around me. I'm actually highlighting examples of how, how this has happened to me. And that's a story that actually makes it more interesting. So I think I would say it's evolved and there's more evolution to happen. Um, and at the same time too, it's been hard for me to find time to write because a lot of the writing I've been doing has gone into this online program I've been building. But even in that, I think just more personal examples. Well, I just want it was interesting just to kind of, again, demonstrate, cause you're talking about all this stuff in theory and I'll, 
it's it's falling into the I buy the books, I buy Tony Robbins, and I listen to Brandon Bruchard, and then I buy Energy Leadership, and like I get all this philosophy, but how does this actually work? And to hear you go through that, it, it just really is inspiring to know that even somebody who's got their coaching business up and running, and they've got this master class, you're still fumbling with all that. It doesn't just go away. Never. Yeah. Never. And, and it's almost like the, the more you think of yourself as a master of your craft, the more you have to remind yourself of no beginner, 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 because I think you, you might have the tendency to not allow yourself to try some new things and explore new territory. If you think that, that you've mastered something you know, and I, I know that I'm in a good space with my personal development when, when I'm, when I'm in a place of humility, when I'm in a place of humility, I know I'm in, I'm on the verge of, of something better. <laughs> really. It's, it's like, that's when I know it's, it's not when I'm feeling grandiose, you know, when I feel grandiose or accomplished at something, I, I'm always wanting to ground myself pretty quickly back to beginner mindset, beginner mindset, you know, because there's also less pressure there because then I know if I do fail, it's like, I didn't overpromise anything either. You know, I can experiment more there and, and be more playful there. That's just more fun. Uh, everyone values different things. You know, I'm just definitely speaking from the perspective of one person, one gal here in Denver, you know, but I like to release the pressure from the tires a little bit. So so I can play around a little bit more. Nina, how about where can people find your master? We'll start off website. And then we talked a little bit about the master class that you're offering. Can you guide us to where to find all of that? Yes. Why? Yes, Brandon. Please. For us. But wait, there's more. But wait. <laughs> so if, um, if you want to learn more about, or even read some of these blog posts, I, I think because who really wants to learn more about check my website to learn more about me. I, I don't think that's what anyone wants to do. Maybe you'd find it interesting though, to check out um, some of my blog posts because that's relevant to our conversation. I would say some of the more recent posts are more personal and you would see that. So my website is paveyourway.com. Also, what could be really useful for any of you who are listening, who are experiencing a career transition and um, have those very human feelings around it, nervousness, the world feels kind of chaotic, you're confused, you might have the tendency to call everyone to pick their brains because you don't trust yourself, you're thinking everyone else has the answers but you, you're in a nonstop researching phase and nothing ever changes, you're not moving things into action, I have a masterclass that was designed just for you, and if you go to paveyourway.com, backslash masterclass, you can sign up for that. And that will tell you a little bit more, give you some of the golden nuggets to the PAVE challenge, which is my online coaching program, really designed to get you into movement, you know, to get you more connected with who you are, what it actually is that you want to do, and then moving, taking small steps to actually advance towards it. Uh, so many people want to call a career counselor or, you know, how do I tighten up my resume or what interview skills do I need? Or let me go pick a, another person's brain about how they did it. And all that is doing usually is just delaying us 
from stepping into something that maybe is a little bit more risky, but also more purposeful. It's delaying our purpose, essentially. So this masterclass will get you really inspired to kind of go after some of those hunches, maybe, that um, keep popping back up that won't go away. <laughs> and they're probably not going away for a reason, but you, you might have the tendency to push them down because they might seem scary to activate. Nina Cashman, ladies and gentlemen, paveyourway.com. It'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending the evening with us, sharing your knowledge with us. We are very grateful to have your time. Thank you, Nina. So fun being here. Thanks for the great questions, you guys. I appreciate it.